cross, a stone, a small rock, or even a pebble. And upon this rock, Petra, that word is not the same as Peter. That word rock in verse 18 is different than the word Peter in verse 18. Petros is Peter, but Petra is a big rock. So Jesus says, thou art a stone, and upon this boulder, upon this huge rock, I will build my church. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus was building off of what Peter said back in verse 16. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and upon this rock, the fact that I am the Christ, I will build my church. That's what Jesus was saying. And he was, using, he was just doing a play on where you're a, you're a small stone, but I'm the big rock. The Bible verifies this. This isn't just me telling you two different Greek words here. The Bible confirms what I just told you. Let me show you. You can keep your finger in Matthew 16 if you, if you want to. But go with me, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse number 11. For the other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. So it's a, talking about a, a spiritual object lesson here. And did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock, see the capital R, was Christ. The rock is Christ, and you know that they drank physically from a rock. Water came out of a rock, and that was in, in a picture of Jesus Christ, the rock. Let's keep going. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Remember, Peter was a stone, but... Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So then we see a couple other places. Um, verse 22, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. And then First uh, Timothy chapter number three, First Timothy chapter three, First Timothy three and verse 15. But if I tear along, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, one more place. I save this one for last. Go to First Peter chapter two. Guess who wrote First and Second Peter? Anybody want to take a guess? First Peter chapter two, and listen to. Now, this is the one who they say. He's the rock that the church is built on. Listen to what the little pebble said about that. Listen to what little pebble said about the real rock. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 3. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, 
to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We all, as living stones, are a part of the building. But it says in verse 6, Wherefore, also Peter quotes this, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. So, who is Peter referring to as the chief cornerstone? Not himself. He's referring to Jesus Christ as the rock, the chief cornerstone in the building of the church. And so, uh, that that is a misinterpretation that Catholics get wrong, and they go off into left field from that and uh, and take all kinds of wrong doctrine as a result of it. And then another name for Peter is Cephas which is just the Aramaic form of Petrus, or Peter. All right, what was he? What was his occupation? Well, he was the brother to Andrew, and I told you last week what Andrew was. He was a fisherman. And they were probably in a partnership with James and John. The Bible uh, tells us that and shows us that. In Luke chapter 5, they were partners. And I would say this, Peter was a strong guy. He had muscles, like Popeye said. John chapter 21 John chapter 21 and verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to, to land full of great fishes and hundred and fifty and three fish. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. One man grabbed the net and hauled in to, onto the shore a hundred and fifty three fish. The dude had some biceps. He was strong. See, when we think of fishermen, we think of us lazy guys that go out in a nice, you know, jet-propelled thing, and we stand and we, you know, have this little... That's not fishing back in the day. In fact, my dad grew up... He was in the Seattle area uh, as a teenager, and uh, he played football. And uh, he was really big into football, and he heard of a, of a great job opportunity that would do two things at once. It, it would build his bank account, and it would build his biceps. And what it was was fishing, seining fishing. What, saint, what is saying? Per seining is, is net fishing in Alaska. And so he got a job on a fishing boat up in Alaska. He spent the entire summer away from home uh, with a bunch of guys that didn't speak English, and he just hauled in nets full of fish and and that built his body and it was good money when they when they get a haul boy they all got rich in a hurry and uh and why because it was hard work and it was muscle building work and so he was not a wimp he was a strong guy he was a fisherman his home was obviously Bethsaida John chapter 1 44 Matthew 8 Luke 4 tells us that he had a house in Bethsaida he was married and that's where um, we hear and understand about uh, Jesus healing his mother-in-law and and rising her up from near death Um, and so obviously he, he was married so we see then the call of Peter and as I've been repeating over and over again we go back to John chapter 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 40, John 1. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon 
and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus beheld him and said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. So we see that that's where Jesus, or where Peter and Andrew began to follow Jesus. But remember what I said. That's not where it started. It started with his salvation and baptism. Where did he get saved and baptized? Under the ministry of John the Baptist. How do I know that? Because Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says that John the Baptist was sent to prepare a people for the Lord. And in Acts chapter 1, when when Judas hung himself and there was now 11, Acts chapter 1, Peter stood up and said, Men and brethren, we need to find a replacement, and that person needs to have been with us from the baptism of John before Jesus' ministry began. So as I've been telling you, Jesus uh, was the one who called Peter into discipleship, but he began first to follow and was born again and baptized through John the Baptist. And he became a disciple of Christ at Bethabara. Because John one twenty eight tells us, these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. And so Peter was already following John the Baptist, and then Jesus calls him to follow him. Not only that, did he follow Christ, but he was taught to forsake all. Look with me in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And Peter, I think, had to learn this lesson a few times. It was not easy to forsake all. Peter was a tough guy. He was a, he was a proud guy. And, and he was walking away from his business. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, verse 18, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew. In verse 19, he said to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And you're going to drop your nets. You're going to leave all. Verse 20, they straightway, they left their nets and followed him. They just dropped what they were doing and started following the Lord. That's what going into full-time service is. You just realize I need to drop and forsake all those other things and follow the Lord. And so it was then reiterated. I think there was another time. Maybe Peter uh, was kind of halfway following and and, and that's not a criticism of him. But Luke chapter five is the story of where Jesus got into Peter's boat and got out a little ways. And if you know anything about water, if you get out on the water, you can be heard real clear. And so Jesus stood in the boat a little ways out in the water and began to preach. And of course, he turns around to Peter after he's done preaching and he says, now launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And Peter's like, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch a thing. You know, oh, nevertheless, I'll let down the net. Jesus said nets, he let down one net and we'll see later what, how that turned out. And so they were taught and trained by the Lord and he was calling them, he was mentoring them, he was teaching them. And also in Luke chapter six, Verse 13 to 14, he was called an apostle. They were disciples, but they were also named apostles. But then you'll notice something about Peter. He kind of was the leader. He was always kind of the most vocal, the most outspoken. He, he kind of over, took oversight. As I mentioned a minute ago, he's the one that stood up in Acts chapter 1 and said, we got we to gotta do this. He was always kind of leading and, and, and making the, taking the lead and making the suggestions. And? He was also later became a great preacher. Um, he was he was able to preach and to deliver the message. You know, there's really no evidence that Peter ever went to Rome. You know, again, another another um, re- refutation of Catholicism, where Peter was the first pope. There's not even any indication that Peter was in Rome. 
there's no real there's no biblical proof that he was there in fact in first peter five thirteen he mentions babylon so it's possible that he actually was in mesopotamia where iraq and kuwait is at now uh babylon area um and then also he died a certain way in john chapter 21 i'll mention i'll read this to you john chapter 21 he, jesus alluded to how peter would die john chapter 21 in verse 18 it says verily verily i say unto you when thou wast young thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest but when thou shalt be old thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not it's kind of an unusual dialogue but what does that mean he'll stretch forth his hands and someone else will carry him this jesus said this after he had been crucified this is after Jesus rose from the grave, he said this. In verse 19, this spake he, Jesus said this, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Jesus kept telling him the same thing, follow me. Tradition says, and I, I believe this is very likely true. Tradition says that when they crucified Peter, he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way the Lord was crucified. I want you to crucify me upside down. Most likely, there, it was an X, and they put two crosses, cross beams planted as an X in the ground, and he hung upside down with his head down, legs spread up, arms spread out, crucified upside down. That's just, that's just tradition, but knowing Peter, I think that is believable. Peter became the spokesman and leader of the apostles. And so you often find him speaking on their behalf. And I realize I'm not having you turn to all these passages. That's okay. It's not necessary. But for instance, in Luke 5, 5, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. He speaks for everybody that was fishing, the two boats. Mark eleven twenty one, Behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. He, he again says what everyone's thinking. Matthew nineteen twenty seven. He says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have thereof? therefore? It was on his mind that he walked away from his... What will we get? And again, he's speaking for them all. John six sixty eight. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That's a great passage where in John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000. But by the end of the chapter, everybody walks away from him. And Jesus turns to his 12 and says, Will you also go away? And Peter says... To whom, where would we go? There's no other, there's no better person to be. That's one of the the great statements that Peter said. And then Acts 5.29, Peter said another great statement. He said, we ought to obey a God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. Sometimes Peter said the greatest things and sometimes he, he stuck his foot right in his mouth. And that brings us to his character, what kind of a guy he was. He was just impulsive. And I like this personality. I don't want to have this personality, but I like this personality because this is the type of person that just says what's on their mind, you know? And there's, there's, it's kind of simple and childlike in a lot of ways, and there's no doubt where they stand because if it crosses through their brain, boom, it comes out their mouth instantly, you know? Um, and that's the way he was. He was just the most reactive of the 12. He was impetuous in a lot of ways, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. For instance, in Matthew 14, Matthew 14, let's just go there. 
This is a very famous story. Let's just go there real quick. Matthew 14. We'll not go to every one of these, but Matthew 14 and verse uh, number 26. And when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were troubled. Yeah. Saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. I, I, I can just see certain personalities in that boat. And I can see Peter going, that's cool. Lord, if that's really you, will you can, can I come? And I can just see somebody going, what? You know, some of the more timid and afraid. What? Are you, what? And uh, Jesus says in verse 29, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And we can criticize Peter for what happens next, but nobody else can say they ever walked on water. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Peter was the type of guy that acted first and thought second. And maybe as he got halfway out of the water, he thought, man, I wonder why Thomas didn't think of this. And about second or third step, it's like, I think I know what. What am I doing? There's, I'm walking on water. And there's waves. And there's, what did he do? He took his eyes off the Lord. That's a great story because it's not just about walking on water. It's about what we do. We start out, I'm going to serve the Lord. This was Peter's, this is, this is Peter's life before he was really right with God. I'm going to do it. Ah! I'm not doing it. That's just how things can be. And we can commit without realizing we're not ready. And we're not as strong as we think we are. Remember I told you he was strong. But he wasn't as spiritually strong as he thought he was. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He was ready to jump out, but then he realized he wasn't. And I, I think every one of us could see ourselves being there. What's the lesson here? Keep your eyes on the Lord. I love that picture. I've shown it on the screen recently. It's Jesus standing on the water and he's saying, focus on me. There's a storm focus on me and then back there in Matthew 16 where we were at and just a page flip one page over he said that awesome thing he said thou art the Christ the son of the living God blessed art thou Simon son of Jonah flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but then you know what he said right after that verse 21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. And what happened then? Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. We are not going to allow you to be killed. That is totally against God. And so you know what Jesus said? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter wasn't Satan, but he was being used. He was saying exactly what Satan would want to say right there. Because Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to. So Peter was thinking of defending the Lord, but he was actually playing into Satan's hands with that idea. 
And then there's another story in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up into what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says in verse 3, verse 2, it says, and was, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And then Peter did what he always did. Opened his mouth and said something. Because that, if you're Peter, that's what you do. You just got to say something. He just, never, he just never thought first. And Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is awesome. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. You know what the problem is there? Moses and Elias, Moses and Elijah were two of the greatest Old Testament prophets. Every Jewish boy probably dreamed about some of the miracles of Moses and Elijah. Whoa, wouldn't it be awesome to be like those guys? And here, they, here he is looking at them. And you know what happened to Peter? He forgot that as awesome as it was to see the real Moses and the real Elijah standing in front of him, they're not equal with the one in the middle. He, he brought Jesus down to their level. He was so mesmerized by seeing two of his heroes that he forgot who Jesus was. And you know what verse 5 says? While it came out of his mouth, as he was saying it, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Shut up. No, actually, hear ye him. Just listen to him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Jesus is the son of God. He's not equal to Moses and Elijah. Peter, he just had that personality. And, 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 and let me just stop and say, I'm not picking on him. I've done a lot of dumb things too. There's been times where I've opened my mouth and said stuff I shouldn't have said. By the way, just a little side note here. Keep your finger in Matthew 17 and go with me to Second uh, Peter. I like this. This is something I want you to, to hopefully understand. Hopefully I can make this clear to you. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is rehearsing this story of what, of what happened there on the Mount of Transfiguration and the voice that he and James and John heard. Here's what it says. Verse 18, 2 Peter 1, 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said, we heard God say, this is my beloved son. And yet we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed unto a light that shineth in a dark place, 
until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What are you trying to say, Pastor? Peter says, we heard a voice from heaven, but I'm telling you this is more sure than what we heard. Peter is trying to tell his readers, don't think, oh, I wish I could have heard the voice. You have something even more sure than my experience. He's putting premium on the word of God. Satan always puts premium on the experience. Don't fall for that. Peter's telling all of us, we are more sure of what God's Holy Spirit inspired than what I know James and John and I heard that day. Now, there's another story in the Bible, John chapter 13. It's right before Jesus was crucified, and the night before in John chapter 13, Jesus got up and began to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 6, John 13, 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Oh, this is wrong. You shouldn't be washing our feet. By the way, the, Jesus and the disciples did not own a Yukon or a Suburban or one of those new Wagoneers that they've got out there now. He didn't, they did not. They did not have a bus. They did not have a travel bus. Jesus and his disciples traveled like most every other commoner did. They walked. The soldiers rode horses. People with wagons drove the horses or the oxen. And on the roads, you didn't have oil spills and oil leaks. You had some other kind of stuff on the road. And Jesus and the disciples walked those roads. It was very humbling. Servants did the feet washing. That's why Jesus is, or Peter is saying, you're washing our feet. Jesus in verse 7 said, what I do thou knowest not thou, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter, of course, he's got a He's got to one-up everybody. That's just the, his personality. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I, I'm, I'm appalled that these other guys would just let you wash their feet. This is wrong. And Jesus answered him in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. <laughs> oh. So then Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. If that's the case, then give me a complete bath. And Jesus said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every way. And ye are clean, but not all, because Judas was still there. For he knew who would betray him. What is he saying here? Jesus is saying, You're already clean, as in you're already saved. But every one of us that are saved, we got our feet dirty. We, we, we walk through the muck. And Jesus is saying, You need me to wash your feet, even if you are already clean. And all of you are clean except for the one guy. All of you are already clean. All of you are born again except for the one guy. But all of you have dirty feet because you've been walking around in the world. See, as believers, we still need the Lord to wash our feet. And um, there's a continual cleansing from sins as we walk through this world. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's something we all need even after we're saved. Different than the initial cleansing of salvation. 
And so Peter, again, extreme one, extreme other. And then, of course, probably one of the most famous ones would be that night a little bit later in Matthew 26 when Jesus is talking to Peter and the rest of them. And verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, unto him, Jesus, Matthew 26, 33, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. These others might be offended, but I will never be ashamed of you, Lord, Jesus said in verse 34, Verily, I say unto thee, that this night, before morning, before the rooster crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. And I'm sure he physically meant every word. I'm ready to die with you and for you. He, he, he and the other disciples just rejected the whole notion that they could deny him. And he went from being self-confident and boasting of his loyalty. And I want you to be careful. I want you to understand, we all do this. I mean, if I asked anyone to stand up and say, would you deny the Of course not, Pastor. I hope you remembered, Peter, when you, when you think of that. Because you know what the Bible says? Later that night in Luke chapter 22, he was following afar off. He wasn't walking right up next to him. He was trailing. This is where it starts. He, he's already a little bit afraid, and so he's, he's following afar off. And then it finds him warming himself by the fire next to the others, the enemy's fire, Mark 14. And then he's asked in Luke chapter 22, hey, aren't you what? And he denies having any association with Christ. Then Matthew 26, I think you're one of them. And he curses. I don't even know the man. He curses and swears. Your speech betrays you. Blank, Eddie, blank. And he had denied him thrice. Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not, and standeth not, and sitteth not. Backsliding is a downward progression, and Peter's life is an illustration for us. You know, I, I, I guess I sound like I'm making fun of Peter sometimes, but I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible because all of us can relate to him. All of us can see ourselves in him in some way or another. Now, in his defense, let me just say this. He's the only one that was at least following a little bit. Where's the rest of them? Poof, there's gone. You know why they didn't deny, you know why they didn't deny Jesus? They'd already split the scene. Boom, we're out of here. Peter tried to hang on, but he failed. They all fled and deserted Christ. And then, you know, later on that night, when it was really, uh, or excuse me, earlier that night, before that even happened, Peter grabbed a sword and swung it at one of the high priest's servant and, and cut off his ear. I'm guessing the servants would like this, and poosh, the sword took his ear off. And Jesus rebuked Peter and picked up the ear and super glued it back on. And God doesn't, need us to fight physically God does God God does want us to use a sword but it's this one and then also John chapter 21 
after Jesus rose from the grave and even after Peter had seen him again, I, th- I think Peter still felt, well, I'm glad Jesus is alive again and I'm glad everything turned out okay, but it's over for me. I messed up. All these guys know that I said I'd never deny him and I cursed and swore and I denied him three times. The rooster crowed and, and he went out and wept bitterly and it's over for me. So in John chapter 21, Simon Peter verse 3 says unto them, these other men, there was about six or seven guys there all together. Some of the other disciples, Thomas was there, probably Philip and John. And it says in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. Now wait a minute. What did Jesus want him to do? Fish for men. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And being the leader, they all kind of went with him. And Jesus comes and he helps them catch a huge number of fish. And then he begins to speak to him. And he says in verse 15, so that when they had dined, Jesus saith to him, Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I think he pointed at the fish. He said to them, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to them, Feed my lambs. He said to him again, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, Feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he asked him, said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said, to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Don't quit. Just because you've messed up and you've made a fool of yourself and embarrassed yourself, don't go back to the old life of fishing. That's not what I called you to fish for men. I want you to feed my sheep. And so then that's when Jesus says about him dying, being crucified. And then in verse 19, he says, but follow me. And the verse 20, here's typical Peter. Then Peter, turning about and seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. You know who that is. It's John. This is the book of John. Which also leaned on his breast at supper. That would have been John. And said, Lord, Peter says, Lord, which is he that betrayed? And, and so he asked him. And so Peter, seeing verse 21, seeing him saith, he sees John in verse 21. Lord, what shall this man do? In other words, you, you just told me how I'm going to die. How about John? How, what's going to happen to him? Typical Peter, wanting to know what. So what about John? John, what? What? Jesus said, "If I will, he tarry till I come." What is that to thee? Just follow thou me. Follow me. Who cares what happens to John? You just do the job I gave you to do. Again, we see a great illustration here, where we look over and we say, "Well, but 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 what about what about Joseph? What's it doesn't matter what's going to happen to Joseph. What God? What does God want you to do? Well, what about Jeff? Doesn't matter." Well, what about Bob? Doesn't matter. What what is God what is God telling you to do? It doesn't matter what everybody else is. Just it it, it might look easier for them, or it might look different for them, or it doesn't matter. What does God have for you to do? Now, here's what we learn about Peter. I'm 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 almost done. I really am. Peter found out who Jesus really was, and most importantly, on top of that, he realized who he really was. I think at first Peter thought, you know, Jesus and I, we're like this. And towards the end, he realized how awesome Jesus is and how not so awesome he is. 
there's a story, and I, I didn't read it, and I, for the sake of time, I won't go to it now, but in Luke chapter 5, it was one of those times where Peter's in the boat, and they'd fished all night and talked nothing, and then Jesus allowed them to catch a huge full boatload of fish along with the other boat. And what does Peter do in Luke chapter 5, verse 8? He gets down on his knees and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why is he saying that? Lord, you are awesome and you are holy and I am. I am so doubtful and so so wicked. I have so many things. I've cursed you in my heart and I've frustrated a lot of times. And you know, it reminds me of Isaiah 6 where I saw God high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy. And I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean. Why? Because God wanted Peter to fail. Why? Because God wanted Peter to learn. It's not about Peter's biceps. It's not about Peter's strength and Peter's ability. It's about me doing it and you just being obedient to me. And if you realize your woe is me, if you realize you are unclean and you don't deserve, that's when I can use you. And so that gets to the pious part of Peter. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, Luke 5, 8. When we see God's holiness, it'll help us to see ourselves as we truly are. That's what we all need. We need a good dose of reality and to look in the mirror and realize God is holy and I'm nowhere near. Again, he's the one that said in John 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we read tonight, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we read also tonight, Thou knowest that I love thee. Peter was a good man. So what changed him? God changed him. In Romans chapter eight twenty nine, it says that we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So conformed, and then informed, and then Romans 12 says, be transformed. Peter got saved, he started to learn, and then eventually he was totally transformed into a different person. Jesus turned Peter into a, from a rough, rough fisherman into a preacher. In fact, they said about Peter and the others, they said, how do these men preach like this, not having learned, but they've been with, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached openly and boldly, and 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 people got saved listening to Peter preach. In Acts chapter 4 also, he stood before the Sanhedrin, who he was scared of at first, but now he stands before them and speaks boldly. Acts chapter 8, he stands up to Simon the sorcerer. Acts chapter 9, he preaches with effect in Lydda and Joppa. and Acts chapter 10, he preaches to Cornelius and God teaches him that he wants the gospel to go to the Gentiles. So salvation happened with Peter way back with John the Baptist. But that conversion took a little longer. Sometimes we say, well, they got converted, they got saved. No, salvation doesn't mean you instantly are converted. What do I mean by that? When you get saved, you're saved but you're still the same guy. You're still the same lady, but now you're saved. But Jesus wanted to not just save Peter. He wanted to convert him into something else from a fisher of fish to a fisher of men, from a proud muscle guy to a humble, defeated man that God could use. Let me show you. Luke chapter 22, and we'll be done. Luke chapter 22 and 1 Peter. 
who wrote Peter. First Peter was written by that guy we're talking about tonight. So let's look at it together. First Peter chapter 1 and chapter 4 and Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 31. And Jesus the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he, Peter, said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, that the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Again, verse 31, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. My wife has a sifter that she uses for flour. Satan wants to just sift you, to just break you down to powder. Satan wants to sift you, Simon. He wants to have you. He's asked permission to mess with you. He's desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Right there, I would have said, and you're not going to let him, right? That's what I would have said. But what's shocking is verse 32, Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. In other words, Jesus said, and we're going to let it happen. But I prayed that in the sifting, you won't stop believing. And when you are converted, that's not when you, when you finally get saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. When you finally stop being old Peter, I want you to strengthen the rest of the brethren. And I think there are some saved people that are a lot like Peter where we, we, we got salvation, but we don't want to be broke down from what we think we want to be. And Jesus is saying, but I want you to be broken down. And I'm giving Satan permission to do this because it's actually going to turn out to be a good thing. Now, what does that have to do with what Peter wrote? Well, Peter learned his lesson finally in First Peter chapter number 1 and verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter knew something about trying of faith. His faith had been tried. And then look at chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Beloved, when you are going through some weird, unusual trial, don't think it's strange or, or, or undeserving or, or, or God's forgotten about you. Don't think that. Verse 13, but rejoice as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Understand that you're going to be tried and don't think it strange when you are. You know why? Because tri trials are good for you. Trials refine you and make you gold 
without any impurities. And Peter, he's not saying that in there, but here's what I'm just going to insert for the sake of my illustration. I know something about trials, folks, and I'm just telling you, don't think it's strange when God puts you through a trial. Let me tell you something. I know about trials because Satan desired to have me and sift me like wheat. And instead of Jesus keeping Satan from doing it, Jesus allowed Satan to put me through that trial so that I would become strengthened enough to strengthen the brethren. Rejoice when it happens because God's got a plan. I used to fish for fish. I used to think that the most awesome fishing day would be if I could haul in boatloads of fish. But let me tell you something. One time I stood up and preached and 3,000 people got saved. And another time I stood up and preached and 5,000 people got saved. That's better than a boatload of fish. Jesus did that. He turned me from a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. And God wants to do that with us. He wants to not just save us, but he wants to convert us from what we are to what he'd have us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the story of Peter. There's so much more we could have talked about, but we thank you for a man who you used and his his imperfections, his character flaws, his, his personality is so open like a book. There's just more open vulnerable about Peter than most anybody else in the Bible and we thank you that he's in there because he helps us to be encouraged with our own stupid issues that we deal with our own pride and self consciousness and self-centeredness and whatever help us to realize that you want maybe Satan to sift us like wheat so that we'll be broken down so that we'll finally be converted and so we can actually be useful to strengthen the brethren. Help us to learn our lessons. Help us to not run from trials and be angry or bitter about trials, but rejoice. Because you have a plan. And you see things in our life that need to go, and we don't think they need to go, but you know they need to go. And so we thank you for Peter's illustration of that. Help us to understand that Peter walked on water, and yet he failed, and yet he learned. And help us to learn as well. And not be proud people, but humble people who give you all the glory. And learn to be quiet and to speak up at the right times. Thank you, God, for his His testimony, his example for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're